Let's read Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6 and 7. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, we have read these words from Isaiah over the past few weeks of our Advent journey here at Southeast. These words uh, may be familiar to you because they're a part of the Advent uh, time. They get read a lot in churches during this season. But these words were actually written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So we come to this passage and we, we read these words, these words that are so, so uh, familiar in some ways that seem to connect us, to bring us in, to, talk, uh, to help us talk about the birth of Jesus. But we recognize the context of these words is that, again, they were written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But the context of the passage was one of incredible hopelessness. And so as we come to these words and we see these promises for us, a child is born, a son is given, we a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This was the words of Isaiah coming to these people in an incredible time of hopelessness. They faced an invasion by the kingdom of Assyria. Invasion, defeat, and conquest that had been experienced before. But amid all of this, Amid all this hopelessness that these people, 700 years, again, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, 700 years experiencing this sense of hopelessness, experiencing this dread, experiencing this defeat that was coming from this foreign enemy coming into their land looking for conquest. They come into that moment and they hear these words, they hear these promises, they see peace and, and, and coming out of fear, they see hope coming out of hopelessness, they see a sense of darkness, but light coming out of that darkness. And what they recognized was that in God's presence and through the way that he worked, the impossible was possible. That even amid these dark circumstances they were in, even amid this scary time that they faced, even in this threat of invasion, God was at work. So in these words where we have hope coming out of hopelessness, where we have peace coming out of fear, where, where, we, where we hear this idea of, of light coming out of darkness and the possible being found in the impossible. As time moved on, as the familiar story of Jesus' birth began to be told and retold and told and retold again, people began to look back into the scriptures. They began to see these promises given to these people, and they began to see whispers and echoes coming from these words into the story of Jesus. Now, last week we looked at some of that as we talked about the impossible found in the possible, or the possible, I'm sorry, found in the impossible. We saw that through the stories of Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah with the seemingly impossible birth of their son, John. And then we read how Elizabeth's cousin, Mary, and her fiancé, Joseph, experienced an even more impossible birth as Jesus was miraculously conceived. Through these stories, we saw that the hope of the Messiah, 
hope coming amid hopelessness, uh, po possible coming out of impossible, peace coming out of fear, light coming out of darkness. That that idea, that reality, that reality of the Messiah was fulfilled where nobody was looking, where impossible seemed to dwell. We saw last week that Mary thought she wasn't ready. Elizabeth thought she was too old. But as we always see, anything is possible with God. Because with God we find impossible made possible. Peace made from fear. Hopelessness but hope. And light coming out of darkness. And in those stories, in this familiar Christmas story, we find those echoes, again, of this promise made long ago. For to us a child is born. To us, a, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So after Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection, people began to look at these words written hundreds of years before Jesus. They saw how they were spoken to the context of that time, but also how they came alive in new ways as they whispered of the promise come through Jesus. So today we continue the story and we turn a page to the right to look at Luke chapter 2. Last week looking at Luke chapter 1, this week looking at Luke chapter 2. And it begins like this. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him, and was expecting a child. Now, for the past few weeks, and I think this is so important for us to look at, I've pointed back to a fascinating geographical reality that we find in this story that connects us back to that story in Isaiah. And this is one of those cool things that I love to see in Scripture, how all the connections are made, how the threads are connected, how this story, how this Bible that we have filled with all of this history and literature and poems and songs and stories, how all of these sort of weave together over hundreds of years, many, many, many different authors in all kinds of different contexts, we begin to see how they all interweave and connect and come together. And we see that in this place here through this incredible geographical reality. In that passage that I was reading in Isaiah, for us, a child is born to us, a son is given. As we look at that passage in Isaiah 9, when we read that passage, we see that, again, those people are under a threat of invasion. That's where their sense of hopelessness was coming from. That's where those words of promise that Isaiah was written were coming from. And in that passage, we see that that invasion is coming in from the north. Now, I talked about this the past couple weeks, that if an invasion was going to happen in Israel, it was going to come from the north. Because as you looked at the geography, as you had the Mediterranean Sea to, to the west, as you had mountains to the east, and there was no other way to come into the country, people came from the north. And that northern area was a place that we call Galilee. And at the time of the Isaiah passage was written, this was a place of intense fear. It was a place of invasion. It was a place of hopelessness. It was a place of darkness that needed to receive 
some good news and some light. Now, after the Assyrian conquest happened, because it did happen, so Isaiah writes this passage saying, hey, there is some darkness in this moment. He says, I recognize, I see that there is darkness around us, and invading from the north into Galilee is this Assyrian army. That Assyrian army did come in, they did have conquest, and they carried people off into exile. Well, here's what's incredible about this. Hundreds of years later, about a century before the birth of Jesus, The historian Josephus tells us that into that region of Galilee, the king of Judea, a man named Alexander Janius, sent thousands of people from Judea as part of a mass migration to control and to farm that area of the country known as Galilee. So many people from Jerusalem, the surrounding area, took part in this move to the north. So from Jerusalem, from Bethlehem, from this area in this part of the country, moved all of these people into this area known as Galilee. Now, based on that information, in history and in scripture, it's likely that a family from Bethlehem of Judea moved to Galilee as part of that migration. And then the grandson, or potentially the great-grandson of that family, was a man named Joseph. Joseph was eventually engaged to be married to a woman named Mary, and to them was born a baby named Jesus. Now, I tell you all that context, all that history, the fascinating way that all that weaves together, because the author of our passage today is very detailed in making sure that we see that Jesus was born to Joseph, a resident of Nazareth, who had ancient ties to the city of Bethlehem, and the royal line of David. See, the authors in the Bible went to great lengths to make connections like this, to help us see the way that Jesus was connected to the promises of the Messiah found throughout Scripture. And again, one of those promises is found in our Isaiah passage that tells us that this Messiah would rule on David's throne. Listen to it again. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now we see the rest of that promise earlier in the chapter in Isaiah 9-2. It said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now this seemingly unclear language is pointing that in this area of deep darkness would come this great light. And you're with us for the first week of this series. You heard me talk about this passage. That what we see here. Is this, is this pointing to this place of darkness? Isaiah is saying, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. He is pointing to this place of Galilee. He is pointing to this reality of what is happening up north. He's talking about this invasion coming in. And then what we see Luke do is Luke makes this connection then between Jesus and Galilee, and he makes this connect in, connection between Jesus and Bethlehem. So he tells us this baby is born to Joseph, and to Mary, 
Joseph, who is from the region of Galilee because of his family's move of mass migration into that area just a couple generations before him. But that family has a history. And that family's history goes all the way back to Bethlehem, all the way back to the royal seat of King David. And so he makes this connection to Jesus in Galilee and Jesus in Bethlehem. And Luke is painting us this picture for us that Jesus is the fulfillment of these ancient words. He also goes into great detail to help us see how this took place. How did this move take place? How did all of this happen? Because the current reality for Mary, Joseph, and the people of their community was also one of darkness and fear. So I want you to see this reality because I think this helps us, again, to slow down in the story. To begin to see some of the things that are happening. It's so easy for us, we get to the Christmas story, to skim over it. In our minds, to simply do a pageant in our minds or to to set up our nativity set and just put all the characters there and not think about how they got there. But the way that they got there is the tapestry that is being told and weaved all throughout Scripture. And the authors were very careful to say, look, I want you to tug on this thread because I want you to see the miraculous way that all of this connects back to here. All of the ways that Jesus is fulfilling all of these promises that God has made for hundreds of years. Because if God has made that promise for hundreds of years to those people, the promises that he makes to us today, how much more true can those be? And then we begin to follow him. We begin to see that he promises that he wants to bring grace and love and mercy and justice and all of these things into this world. He says, if those promises are true back then, then those promises can be true today. So when we experience fear, we can say there is peace. When we experience hopelessness, we can say that there is hope. When we experience darkness in this world, we can say that there is light and we can say that those things don't win, that fear, that hopelessness, that darkness doesn't win but that light ultimately is the thing that pushes out the darkness because we've seen it before. And we see the way that God weaved the story throughout the scriptures and the way that these stories and these promises from hundreds of years are fulfilled in Jesus. And if God is doing that, if God makes the possible out of the impossible there, what possible can he make impossible in our lives as we follow him? And so these are the promises. This is the reality that we see in these incredible stories. So Luke is saying, look, I want you to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. That when Isaiah is talking about Galilee, when he's talking about the darkness and the light, he says, I see Jesus fulfilling these words of promise. Luke is saying that when I, when I talk about this reality that Jesus comes from this line of, uh, of Joseph through David and from Bethlehem, he says, I, I, I'm telling you, I see Jesus being fulfilled in this promise. He says, I'm making these connections for you to see that God, God's promises, his word, the reality of what's happening here. He says, I'm seeing Jesus fulfill this. And so he wants us to see that with Mary and Joseph, with their community, the reality of darkness and fear that they lived in, and how Jesus was responsive to that. About 30 years before the birth of Jesus, things in the Roman world were looking pretty grim. Julius Caesar had been assassinated. A power struggle had developed between his son Octavian a power, and a power-hungry military, military leader excuse me, named Mark Antony. The story is even stranger because while Mark Antony was engaged to Octavian's sister, he was in love with Cleopatra from Egypt. And this all led to a breakdown of peace 
in the Roman world. And this descended into this bloody civil war. And if you're a student of history, you know these stories. And you know that there was this bloody conflict that took place in the Roman Empire before the birth of Jesus. Now, as part of the Roman Empire, people like Joseph, Mary, the citizens of Bethlehem, Galilee, and Jerusalem were all on the front row of this. Now, in that time, in that world, the world was very small. So this conflict was not just a regional conflict. This was, to them, the worldwide conflict. They were seeing not just peace in their community break down, but they were seeing peace break down across the entire world. For, for them, the Roman Empire was the world. The, the Roman Empire was so big, so expansive, had conquered so much, was the supreme power that to see this civil war take place was to watch an entire world collapse and see peace falling all around you. So everything at that time looked like it was falling apart. Now, what's crazy about this is for 450 years, this Roman Republic had stood. So there is history here. There is a peace here that was a part of this thing that people had never experienced before. And, and, and all of a sudden, an assassination and a 13-year civil war made it look like this might be the end of everything that these people knew. Then something happens. At the Battle of Actium, Octavian defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And all of a sudden, the war ended. Octavian brought peace. He brought justice. He, bought, he brought prosperity back to the Roman Republic. There were celebrations throughout the entire kingdom. All of a sudden, people were saying, hey, there is hope in this hopelessness. There is peace that comes out of this fear and this war. There is a light amid this darkness. Well, Octavian eventually took on the name Augustus, which, interestingly enough, means sacred or divine. He would now even be called, this is so fascinating, names like the Prince of Peace because the peace that he had brought. So Octavian becomes Augustus. He is now sacred. He is divine. He is being called things like the prince of peace. He has brought time of, a time of peace and prosperity. Now this godlike emperor wanted to know more about his empire, because who wouldn't, right? We've had this, these 13 years of war. Everything has broken down. He now wins he is now the prince of peace. He says, I want to know who's a part of my kingdom. What does my kingdom look like? What is, what is happening throughout my kingdom? He also wanted to tax the people who lived in the kingdom. He needed resources to rebuild this empire of his. So Augustus declares a census. Or actually, censuses should be taken. Now, every few years, one of these censuses would take place, and so Augustus says, hey, we're going to have a census now at this time, and this is where Luke begins the telling of the story of Jesus, and it's this brilliant move. It pulls us into this, his, this story historically. It connects back to these promises of the Messiah, so Luke begins to weave in these realities about Bethlehem. He begins to weave in Galilee. He begins to weave in this tension of darkness and light, and he begins to weave in the story of Augustus because he's going to make a point for us about the birth of the Messiah. 
Because he shows us that while the world was looking for this Messiah who was sitting on this throne, he says while the world was looking at this supposed prince of peace who came and conquered with a sword and brought peace with a sword, Luke is saying, hey, there's another reality happening here. While this huge thread seems to be weaving through, there is another thread coming through that's going to change everything in a brand new way. That the true Messiah, the king, was being born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. Now with all that context, all that history, all of that connection, all of the weaving that we've done, listen to the way that Luke tells that story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Go to verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea. So the place where he was living, the place where his family was. He goes up from there to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house, to the line of David. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So Luke is telling us this, that while the world watched as Caesar Augustus declared peace with a sword, a baby was born who would usher in peace, love, mercy, and justice in a way that nobody was expecting. And to his kingdom, there would be no end. Through his kingdom, as we give our lives to the way of Jesus, we experience his grace, his love, and his mercy and extend it into this world. Through him, we experience peace where there was fear. Through him, hope where there was hopelessness. Through him, light where there was darkness. As God makes possible what seemed impossible. Found in this baby, Jesus. Listen, from the region of Galilee. Born in Bethlehem. So as we look back to these ancient words then, we see these whispers. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince, Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, what Luke is inviting us into is a choice. Luke is inviting us into this story. And he's saying, let me weave for you a reality. Let me help you to see a tapestry. And weaved into that tapestry are a couple of roads that begin to emerge. He says, throughout history, throughout this experience, throughout the reality of the Roman world, comes this pinnacle of Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus will take the throne and he will declare a kingdom of peace found through the sword he will declare a kingdom of peace found through a prosperity that has never been experienced before. 
He says, you will experience a kingdom through Caesar Augustus that is, that is found on this earth in a way that you could never begin to imagine. And he said, and this king will be called a prince of peace. And he says that many people will choose to follow Caesar Augustus. Many people will choose to follow that kingdom. Many people will put their lot in with that king. And then he says, but let me show you an alternative, another reality that's begun to take place. He reaches back in through history. He comes back 700 years before the time of Jesus. He looks at a passage written in a specific context of that time. But he says, I begin to see whispers and I begin to see echoes coming out of this passage. He says, I begin to see whispers and echoes coming out of these that are beginning to speak about this Messiah who is coming to be born named Jesus. And so he reaches back into history and he begins to weave this story. He begins to talk about the darkness that was experienced in Galilee, in the region of Galilee and Nazareth. He begins to talk about the Assyrian conquest, but he begins to see that there is a darkness reality experienced there even to this day, 700 years later at the time of Jesus. And then he begins to weave into that these words, this reality that this Messiah would be born to rule over David's throne. He makes this connected back to Joseph, who was living in Nazareth, but had family roots back in the city of Bethlehem. And he says, do you see the whispers and the echoes and the promises coming true? Do you see the way that God worked through the impossible and brought possible as the Messiah was born? And then he says, he comes into this world he says, do you hear the whispers? Do you hear the echoes? Do you hear the promises? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace born into this world. Then Jesus is born. He begins to live and begins to teach. He begins to say, come and follow me. He says, let me show you a way of grace and mercy and love. Let me show you a way that I will bring peace into this world that looks nothing like this other kingdom brought by a sword. Let me show you a kingdom of peace brought by love and mercy and grace. And then he says to us, come and follow me. And he says, what I bring is a different kind of kingdom. And Luke tells us that Jesus will rule over that kingdom forever. And he says, come and give your hearts, come and bow and come and worship before this king. Not born to the grand halls of this palace. Not made king over the realities of this war. But born in a manger on a quiet night. God bringing possible out of seemingly impossible showing us the prince of peace who has come and so today as we come into this season as we slow down our hearts as we begin to navigate and process all of this i ask you to look at this story anew and begin to think about what path have you chosen to follow are you continuing to choose this path of Caesar Augustus, this kingdom of this world? Or are you seeing the beauty and the wonder of the Prince of Peace? Are you trusting that the promises that God has brought true to all of these people is true for you as well? And so I ask you today, choose to follow Jesus. 
the true prince of peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible story. We thank you, God, as we begin to peel back the layers of the story, as we begin to unwind, as we begin to pull the threads, that we begin to see the incredible ways that Luke is both connecting historically for us to see the reality of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, but also to see the invitation that he has brought before us. To see that there is this conflict brewing, that there are these two kingdoms, and God, that we have to choose which kingdom we choose to be a part of, which king we will serve. God, well, we don't have Caesar Augustus here today. We have our own selves that we place upon that throne. But on the other side of that, we know that there is Jesus. So God, today, which king do we choose to serve? Do we choose to live by our own in our own kingdom or we choose to follow? the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the child born in a manger who came to show us love and life and peace and mercy and grace. May we choose to follow Jesus in this season. It's your name that we pray. Amen.